Are we in the most hated bull market in history? The S&P is up 17% so far this year, and the Nasdaq 100 is up 43%. The highest number of people since 2008 are invested in the stock market, yet institutions haven't participated. And sentiment is not happy. What's going on? Well, at Real Vision, we'll be talking to the world's best investors and thinkers to answer that question in Crash or Boom, how to profit from what's coming. This is a really important topic, and this two-week special series starts on September the 11th with what I think is coming. I'll lay it all out for you, and then we'll hear from the others. Go to realvision.com forward slash big question to get all the details. That's realvision.com forward slash big question, all lowercase, to get all the details. Don't miss out. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Real Vision's weekly AI Firehose, where we drink from the stream of everything happening this week in the exploding field of AI. I'm Ash Bennington, joined by our resident AI expert, AI developer, Mikhail Voloshin. Mikhail, always a pleasure to be with you. We're also joined here today, Ash, with my co-star Phoenix over here and with an experimental co-star that's running in the background. I wrote a little fact-checking agent whom I call Grace for the time being. Uh, she will mostly be perfectly quiet. You might see some activity on the screen behind me. But if we happen to say something that needs fact-checking, corroboration, or correction, we might hear an automated voice uh, pipe up saying, excuse me, and we'll see whether or not Grace has anything to tell us. So does, does Grace stand for something? No. Um, Grace is merely an agent that uh, is tasked with listening to our audio stream and uh, extracting any facts or statements of, uh, of, of truth from it, uh, Googling those statements of truth, and then coming back with us to us with uh, statements about whether or not what we said was true or false. Uh, she's named after Grace Hopper, one of the greatest pioneers uh, in the world of computing. Uh, and she's also yes. named Grace because she tries to make sure that we conduct this podcast with a bit of grace. But <laughs> for the time being, uh, she's going to be perfectly quiet. And uh, if we don't hear from her, then that's a good thing. Uh, that means that we haven't said anything egregiously false. But for the time being, uh, we're just going to watch the text scroll behind me. And the folks that are just listening on the audio will hopefully never know that anything's amiss. Well, we always try and conduct this podcast with elegance and grace. And we'll see if we come up short, uh, Grace can call us out. Uh, one thing Grace will not be able to call me out on, on the fact check, uh, I should say, is this coming week, this was released on a Saturday, uh, we have a special content week continuing at Real Vision, Crash or Boom, How to Profit from What's Coming. Uh, today actually was my first day hosting the Crash or Boom, and I got to host Benjamin Cowan and Wrecked Capital talking about things that are happening on the digital asset side in terms uh, of this framework of whether or not the US and indeed the globe is heading into recession. Earlier today, we had Andreas Steno Larson on with Michael Survey, head of equity strategy at Nord, talking about again, this same theme. Some of Michael's models are screaming recession, rising risk in Europe, and the risk that the US will follow Europe into a potential recession. Mikhail, we're talking about boom bust today. We're talking about a lot of 
interesting concepts about chat agents. I'm wondering if this idea of boom in Boston, it seems like we've got some skeptical stories today. Is there a, a sort of a boom crash theme that sometimes happens uh, in the AI space? Just because that's human nature to see things uh, as sort of, uh, I guess, rising or falling. It's a particularly poignant question to ask about uh, in the context of artificial intelligence, because there was a massive, massive bust in the world of AI that lasted for decades. Uh, there was something called the AI winter that we're only now beginning to crawl our way out of. The uh, neural networks were first invented in the uh, late 1940s, and they were first built in hardware in the late 1950s and early 60s. And for a little while, it was believed that neural networks would be the end all and be all of artificial intelligence. We would build artificial brains, and that would be the, you know, the, the sentient robot future. Unfortunately, it was discovered fairly early in the 1970s, I believe, um, a, uh, um, there was a book uh, about the limitations of perceptron technology that completely devastated the field of uh, neural networks at the time, and in fact sent, uh, sent such waves of despair through the possibility of AI in general that the field really didn't recover uh, for decades. Um, right. so the, uh, so the very fact that we're coming out of the AI winter right now is really an indicate is really something that speaks for itself in terms of, is there bust in the, uh, in the world of AI. Now we're not headed for another AI winter anytime soon. We just got out of it and spring is thawing and it is beautiful. What's, uh, what we can talk about in terms of the impact of AI in the context of an otherwise receding economy is a hmm. very interesting position that we're dealing with now, which is that um, there are certain fields, there are certain industries that do better when the entire economy is retracting. And those have historically included entertainment video games uh, and the um, and any kind of labor saving or cost cutting right. uh, technologies or capabilities. And yeah. AI is one gigantic cost cutting labor saving capability. Yeah, it's such an interesting point. These are sometimes called counter cyclical industries. By the way, a great counter cyclical industry, financial news, uh, when things get ugly, people need to know what is happening. Uh, but you bring up this great point, which is whether labor saving technology in the in the uh, event of a recession might actually see more capital flowing to it because it's seen as something that can potentially potentially enhance the bottom lines of corporations so when in a healthy economy the the question is whether to employ a human uh, in a position or whether to employ an AI in that position. And in that decision, and when you're faced with that decision, you're usually going to employ the human if you have the capital for it. Uh, and then you might do a little bit of value add with some AI uh, capabilities where the human can, you know, in order to pick up the human slack. We talked a lot about that in the last episode. In a receding economy or in a shrinking economy, that is no longer the choice. Uh, the choice becomes whether to do a job with an AI or to not do the job at all because you can't hire a human because you can't afford it. Right. So in that context, the AI becomes the better option. Uh, yeah, you could see this in an environment where, for example, you were thinking about cutting a service entirely or just bringing in an AI oh, to do that service at a very low rate. Is Grace speaking? Is Grace is Grace perking up back there? Grace has uh, decided to pick and to say something. Let's see what Grace has to say for him or or it or themselves. 
which should be significant effect on funding and research on AI. The book, Perceptrons, An Introduction to Computational Geometry by Marvin Minsky and Seymour Papert, published in 1969, highlighted the limitations of perceptron technology and devastated the field of neural networks at the time. These findings corroborate your statements about the impact and duration of the AI winter. Thank you, Grace. All right, that's seriously creepy, dude. Basically, real time, it's fact-checking you about your statements about the duration and depth of the AI winter. She's not quite real-time yet. It's ridiculously expensive to operate her in a real-time, like, fast, responsive manner. So because this is just a prototype that we're debuting this week, I decided to hedge my losses and keep her in a slightly slower mode. But uh, if she ends up being useful for this podcast or for others, then maybe I'll speed her up and add some capabilities, maybe give her a better voice, maybe uh, give her an avatar. And that's gonna, we're gonna see the impact of, of decisions like that in some of the stuff we talk about today. You know, by the way, for people who've been watching tech for a long period of time, as both you and I have, uh, one of these things that you hear, anything that's prohibitively expensive to do today, in six months, two years, 10 years, may no longer be the case. That's just the nature of Moore's law. It's not going to take me uh, six to 10 years to get uh, Grace to be cheap enough to run on the fly. Um, I'm hoping that uh, if she performs well today, and possibly in the next couple of podcasts, then it might be worth it to sort of crank up her capabilities a little bit. All right, Mikhail, from Grace to Neuro Sama, tell us about this character. Oh, man. So what we're going to be talking about this week is intelligent agents, chatbots, and other sort of human substitutes that people have used throughout various industries powered by these large language model capabilities. And this really runs the gamut. Now, I want to start out by something that uh, has been requested uh, that I discuss, which is a character called, named Neurosama. I don't even know where to begin with this one, Ash. Uh, in order to explain Neurosama, I have to start uh, by touching on this really bizarre media culture that's uh, that's prominent in Japan. So, <laughs> um, I'll start by talking about uh, a. a one of the places where these sort of digital avatars started, uh, there's this animated character named uh, Hatsune Miku. Hatsune Miku. I'm so gimping that name. But the... Uh, so Hatsune Miku is a mascot for some voice synthesis software. Um, she debuted around 2007, and basically this was a company uh, called... Uh, let me check, Vocaloid, sorry, Krypton Future Media, that released a library of software that allows for musicians to basically have a singer. Oh, dear. Um, uh, Grace just wants to corroborate my statement about AI being a cost-cutting measure. I will skip it. <laughs> Thanks, Maybe Grace. Grace can take a nap. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Grace to bed for the time being. Um, so what I wanted to say about, and we can, we can do the, uh, we can do the good night, Gracie bit. We, <laughs> I thought about adding that, um, <laughs> but I can't quite get the, uh, squeaky voice with the joysy accent going on just yet, maybe in future editions. <laughs> and in fact, that's, uh, that's kind of exactly what Hatsune Miku is. It's a, um, it's a, it's a voice library that allows for musicians who don't have a vocalist to basically write lyrics and notes and have a singer for their, for their music. So, and so um, how does that tie in with Neurosama or Neurosama? 
Neurosama is a is a version of a is an AI that's basically that a manifestation of one of these early uh, sort of digital characters cranked up to 11. Uh, she's what's called a VTuber, uh, which is a podcaster who cat who performs not through their own face, but through an uh, but through a digital persona. The difference with uh, with uh, Neurosama is that there's no actual human operating the like the AI the, the anime avatar. It's actually just AIs all the way down. She um so it's uh, she basically was debut- it's, it's AI generating the the uh, actual content as well as generating the persona the uh, skin on the front. Exactly. She was created by a programmer named uh, or called Vidal987, and she was she debuted in December of 2022. She now has over 165,000 subscribers. She was originally programmed to be a Twitch streamer, which I don't know if uh, I, I don't know how, how much of common knowledge it is, but there's this community called Twitch where people actually watch other people play video games. Um, so talk about like spectator sports only crank the nerdiness up to 11 right (laughs) so vidal programmed uh an ai to play a couple of games in particular a rhythm game called called osu which is related in some way to dance dance revolution or guitar hero and uh this ai is also capable of playing minecraft and so he created this character to describe and talk about the minecraft and osu games as they're being played by this you know by it you know by this ai system so it's actually a collection of ai algorithms some to play the games some to talk about what's going on some to interact with the community in the uh in the like comment section under this streaming uh, presentation and uh, the. So, so Mikhail, recently... let me ask you this: What's you know? I think for a lot of people, uh, people who are in that community probably get it immediately, and uh, there's something that they're maybe passionate about. But for those of us who aren't, and they're listening to this, and they're hearing, and they go, "Okay, so let me get this straight." So it's online video games being played by computers, being essentially mm-hmm. sort of narrated by a computer by an AI. What's the lure? What's the connection? How does this pull people in? That's a really good question. And so a lot of people are pulled in by the novelty of the fact that there's a computer that's doing this, right? Um, there's also a lot of people that are drawn in by just watching her glitch and being really amused by uh, by things she says that are horribly wrong. And in fact, there was a huge controversy that surrounded this exact glitching property. Because look, she comments, uh, she interacts with the comments section, right? People will type something and then she'll comment on the thing that they typed in the Discord or the Twitch or whatever. So uh, she was actually banned from uh, from Twitch for a couple of weeks in, I want to say, February of uh, the, earlier, this, uh, earlier this year. Um, because... Um, Basically, the Twitch streamers who were watching this were trying to trick the AI into saying some really offensive, racist, and let's just say politically incorrect things. And basically, once they succeeded, this was treated as content by Twitch, and Twitch pulled a big no-no on that. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, 
Whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. So basically, the community was kind of goading her into saying these things uh, that would get her banned. I mean, this is kind of like an interactive version of watching Grand Prix for the car crashes. It's, you know, if you sum up the entire uh, appeal just as watching Grand Prix for the car crashes, that's actually not that far off. It's pretty, uh, people watch it because it's kind of cool to see it actually work, but it's really, really fun to see it fail. <laughs> Talking about things that should not crash, I want to move on to our next story. This idea of a space Alexa. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's Wilson from, uh, you know, from Castaway, only in space. <clears throat> and Wilson so, really talks back. You don't have to hallucinate it. Well, if if uh if it starts talking back to you while it's turned off then you might want to actually turn it on and alleviate some of the space madness that might be setting in <laughs> uh it's a soccer ball sized robot that uh named simon c-i-m-o-n which stands for crew interaction module mobile companion uh this was a small robot that was deployed onto the iss several years ago and has been going through various revisions it uses a a speech model powered by IBM's Watson system. And it's designed to uh, help crew deal with stress, primarily by providing them with verbally interactive instructions about the various experiment procedures and flight procedures and whatnot that they have to follow uh, while they're running certain operations uh, in zero-G. Mikhail, to exactly that point, let me just read this. This is from NBC News. I'll give you a little bit of the background and the context here. Quote, studies show that demanding tasks are perceived less stressful if they were done in cooperation with a colleague. Matthias Beinock, an IBM Watson architect, told NBC News in mock, NBC News mock in an email, quote, Simon helps enhance safety because it can help serve as an early warning system in case of technical problems. So it's to me, uh, my reading of that is it's using uh, these technologies to engage the humans and find out when they're not engaged, and therefore alert uh, someone back on Earth to say, hey, listen, maybe you might want to have a pep talk with this astronaut. They seem like they're dragging a little. Um, I don't know about Simon's uh, human evaluation capabilities. I do know that he's supposed to be able to uh, identify or at least uh, hint towards identifying human emotional states. So he's theoretically capable of telling when somebody is stressed out. Hmm. But I don't know exactly what he's supposed to do about that. The, yeah, I guess... um I was going to say, it's probably the type of thing where once you develop the technology that can make the assessment, the escalation procedure is something that you probably build in later or enhance uh, in future versions. 
If it's reliable enough, absolutely. Now, probably the coolest thing about Simon is that he zips around in zero-g. Like, basically, he knows his way around the ISS, and he's got little jets that the uh, that the AI powers. So if you tell... And he's got a little camera. So if you tell Simon... So he's like a, he's like uh, a zero-g Roomba. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, but, like, you can tell him to go take a photo of the bean growth experiment or something like that. Uh, he knows where it is. He's got a little camera. He knows how to, he knows how to operate it. So he'll actually like, you know, zip off and like, turn, you know, go take a picture of the bean growth experiment and then fly back to you and show the, and show the image on his screen. So it's pretty neat. By the way, uh, talking about vehicles here, we've got another story, this one more terrestrially bound. Uh, this comes from a Mercedes press release. Mercedes-Benz is further expanding the use of artificial intelligence and integrating it into the voice control of its vehicles by adding chat GPT voice control via the Hey Mercedes MBUX voice assistant will become even more intuitive. An optional beta program for US customers will begin on June 16, 2023 for over 900,000 vehicles equipped with MBUX infotainment system. Soon, participants ask the voice assistant for details about their destination, to suggest a new dinner recipe, or to answer a complex question will receive a more comprehensive answer, all while keeping their hands on the wheel and their eyes on the road. I suppose we should say in theory, or it is to be hoped. In theory. And, you know, this is an interesting story because it does talk about attempts at integrating GPT technology, you know, chat GPT and related LLM technologies. Although I believe that, G that Mercedes-Benz is actually integrating GPT itself, not just like a spin-off LLM. And so what this means is that you can chat with your car about a lot of the things that you can chat with chat GPT about. Uh, it mentioned, for example, uh, you can ask your car about what recipes you should make when you get home. And, you know, Ash, uh, mostly I kind of wonder why, like, I, <laughs> maybe you can tell me, but like, I know that when I'm driving, I don't particularly feel compelled to ask my car about my dinner plans. I might want to ask it about what restaurants are in the area, but that requires integration with local maps and right. with uh, review systems. Uh, but like, I'm not hearing a lot of that yet. It might come in later versions but right now it just seems like it's like like it's all like it's answering a question nobody asked <laughs> i guess a lot of technology initially uh, is a solution to a problem that nobody has look you know we were talking about this earlier this uh sort of uh boom bust cycle uh you know one of the interesting things about this is the article that we pulled this from was uh, from a publication called lifewire and the headline of that is why ai chatbots in your car could be a distraction nightmare and I want to take the opposite side of this one just, you know, to play devil's advocate here, but also because I do sort of feel it that whenever there's a new technology that involves a car, the technology scolds come out of the woodwork and they tell you about how this is going to be incredibly dangerous. And, you know, my reaction to that is, have you ever been driving a car while your, you know, husband, wife, significant other sitting in the passenger seat says to you, why do you always do this when we're going to my mother's house? I mean, the idea that somehow technology provides a unique 
set of challenges, a new unique set of distractions to people when the person in the passenger seat really could be doing precisely the same thing. I don't know. To me, it just seems like this this overblown fear that we have of distracted driving that this idea that somehow technology, I mean, you could be having this conversation uh, with your, you know, sister, brother, best friend sitting in the passenger seat about what, you know, how to make a perfect Apple turnover and be just as distracted. Is this, uh, you know, like a tempest in a teapot, a lot of strum and drong about nothing. The modality required to interact with this voice system is complementary to the modalities that a human uses for operating the vehicle. In other words, you're not using your your voice and to a certain extent your ears quite as much as you're using your eyes and hands. So I absolutely agree that it's it's not exactly preposterous, but kind of aiming at the wrong thing to claim that this is going to distract people from uh, from the task of driving. It's not like why texting, it, why which I think more distracting it to. But why, why would it be more distracting than talking to a human being? I don't think it is. I mean, maybe there's a real um, answer fact, to that. So I think that you're absolutely right that the that, that it's a Sturm and Drang, uh, you know, signifying nothing. Uh, however, I also... Uh, I also don't think that it's particularly useful. So like, you know, I, I take the road <laughs> well, that like, well, there's always, there's always that it's not, it's not bad, but I also don't really see the good. Now I'm more than happy to <laughs> like, to, to, you know, if I had a Mercedes, I'm sure that I would be more than happy to try out GPT in it, but I just don't see it being a particularly compelling use case is all. Now I will say this that it is as long as there is little harm and i agree with you that there does seem to be pretty little harm that it is worth it to try to deploy these newly available technologies in yeah. fairly far-fetched use case scenarios which i feel this is just for the opportunity to be pleasantly surprised like you right. never know when something that uh, somebody like me might poo poo in the outset ends up being a really really surprisingly useful uh situation that a lot of people get a lot of value out of. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, look, obviously, I'm not an automotive safety expert. Maybe there is some compelling reason why this might be dangerous. Uh, but to your point, I also don't see a, a huge amount right now, at least of use cases. But, you know, and you alluded to this earlier, we may later see integration uh, with things that could be, in fact, incredibly useful, like, hey, how far do I have until I'm about to run out of gas? And can you direct me to the nearest service station that's going to be open at two o'clock in the morning as we're, you know, driving down this country highway? I mean, that definitely would be something that would have some utility to it. The prompting of the language model inputs with the sensor readings of the car and uh, right. various data from the navigation system, uh, local maps and whatnot, does create the opportunity for a very, very compelling use case. Uh, and this is not this in order to really be great. Uh, I think that it not only needs to simply respond to the human, but also be a proactive contact. Uh, in other words, if the car had the ability to pipe up, much like Gracie over here, and uh, and say, hey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you're low on gas, or hey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you're running out, you know, but your tire pressure is low, that might actually be something that, like, that yeah. people will get a bit of value out of. 
hey, your tire pressure is low and it's incredibly dangerous because it's 104 degrees out and you might have a blowout. Perfect. Yeah. All right, talking about other use cases here, and I thought this was a really interesting one, uh, which is Lena, AI for seniors. Talk a little bit about this story. This dovetails well with the idea of, a, of an AI that proactively contacts the user. And uh, this story really takes a bit of a turn for the sad because we are, uh, we are talking here about uh, a major problem socially throughout the West in particular, uh, which is uh, loneliness and abandonment of the elderly. Um, and the problems that uh, older people have with maintaining social ties uh, and maintaining cognitive uh, functions in the absence of social ties. You know, right. human beings really don't do well in isolation. And even if we're in, like, poor, poor quality social interaction still doesn't help. Like, if you're you know, in a nursing home or something, it's, it's not, it's, it's better than nothing, but it's not great. So there have been a number of, uh, there have been a number of chatbot services that have arisen, uh, that seek to interact with elderly people in order to keep their mind sharp, in order to keep their memories coherent, uh, in order to make sure that they stay, that they feel like they're still connected with social tapestry. Yeah, there's also some interesting functions. This is a Medium post that uh, you found, I believe. And uh, it's interesting because one of the use cases that they use is for things like essentially becoming an agent that's the front end for a healthcare delivery mechanism. Uh, for example, in the one example here, it says, uh, you know, hi, Mary, how are you feeling today? And Mary replies, more pain today, didn't sleep last night. I'm sorry to hear that. Are the pain levels more or less than they were at Thursday's five, meaning on a 10 scale? I mean, you could really see how this could have the potential to be an early intervention uh, for a senior citizen, maybe who's experiencing some symptoms they don't think are severe enough, for example, to rise to the level of calling a doctor over, but the AI chatbot intervenes early and says, hey, oh, so your pain, your pain is a seven today, right? And, uh, you know, it's very warm and you, you're, uh, and again, this is something we were talking about earlier, the interactions with sensor data. You know, by the way, I've seen some, some fluctuations in your heart rate. I'm going to call your doctor. I mean, this really does seem as though it could be an intervention that has the potential to really increase uh, the, you know, things like lifespan, health span, uh, all those things that we're also uh, interested in increasing. Very much so. It's, it, it, there are, capabilities to interact with uh, sensors on, you know, heart rate monitors and whatnot. And there's also the capability to be seated with the uh, with healthcare providers for that individual, their contact numbers, emails, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that the when the AI does detect that there's something wrong, it, uh, it knows to escalate. And by the way, the sensor input isn't always necessarily something as straightforward as um, uh, you know, as whether or not your heart is, is beating irregularly a lot of time, because we already have life monitors for, for stuff like that. This would be more along the lines of, uh, is this person struggling to remember something that they, today that they were talking about coherently yesterday. Hmm. And, you know, there's, uh, th there's a number of different services. You mentioned Lena. There's also uh, a couple of other noteworthy ones. Uh, one is called Omnida. Uh, another is called Senior Talk. And they all have a certain set of things in common. One is that they tend to communicate through existing chat systems, such as text messaging or Facebook Messenger, mostly because they... Uh, 
part of it is because uh, senior people don't need, don't want to have to install yet another app and memorize yet another password. But more importantly, it's so that the communication with this bot doesn't feel siloed into a sort of separate experience, so that it feels like the same experience that they have when they're interacting with real human beings. Um, Another uh, and furthermore, these bots tend to need to be able to proactively contact folks um, and do active wellness checks, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, people aren't stupid. Uh, you know, seniors know that this isn't a real human being, no matter how much it acts like one. But if the if the bot is proactive enough, then then people will kind of play along and will, you know, how many of us have gotten like attached to an NPC in a, in a video game, for example, like, you know, ever I, I don't know about you, but playing Skyrim, I felt a little bit bad every time Lydia sighed at me and said, I'm sworn to carry your burden. So, <laughs> you know, um, it's the willingness to play along that innate, that powers the underlying, uh, willingness of the human to actually answer these questions and play these games. And that's what, and, and even though they know that it's not a real human being on the other end, it still does the job of keeping the mind engaged. And that's, what's really important. All right, Mikhail, talking about the desire to play along, tell me about the rise and fall of replica. This is a sordid, sordid tale. Now, Ash, first of all, do you do, do people know what replica AI is? Replica with a K? Because I know that there was a period uh, at the beginning of this year for about several months where I could not log on to social media without being inundated about uh, subscribing to this service where I can rent an AI girlfriend that'll send me not safe for work rendered pictures. I believe many have heard of it, but let's give a refresher course for those who have not. Because, by the way, one of the interesting things about Replica is that's not the way it started out. It's not. And by the way, before I get into this whole horrible, horrible history, um, I want to give credit where it's due. I want to give out, give a shout out to a YouTuber named Sarah Z, uh, that's Sarah Z to the Brits, uh, who has this absolutely fantastic uh, video called The Rise and Fall of Replica. And what she, and a lot of the information that uh, that I have about this topic uh, originally came from her. This is this is how this topic came onto my radar in the first place. Um, and, and, we should, she, and we should say, Sarah Z, come and join us. We'd love to get your take on this. Absolutely. Like, you know, she she didn't just read a bunch about Replica. She actually created her own Replica bot and played with it for months. And she's yeah. got a lot of really intelligent things to say about the resultant social dynamic and sort of the pros and cons of this really weird uh, social space where it ends up falling, where like, it's supposed you're supposed to regard it as a human being uh and an intimate one that you have an intimate relationship with but at the same time you have total power over it you can literally delete its existence with the push of a button so it's kind of icky yeah seriously um, i think really interesting insights about this uh and i thought it was interesting because she actually had been uh, had a user of the system for uh, for many months and had obviously interacted with it on a regular basis. Uh, so I think that's really interesting to get someone who actually used the technology. And by but, the way, we should so say this isn't, isn't just sort of uh, a romantic technology. Sometimes people just want a best friend. They're lonely. They want someone to chat to. Very or they're much curious so. about and the technology and they uh, would like to explore it. 
or they're curious about the technology and they want to push its boundaries, which is a lot of what we saw as well. So here's the gist for folks that might not have heard of this. Um, where it came onto most, most people's radars was right around COVID, uh, when this was being offered as a digital friend service, essentially. So here's the background. Uh, there was a programmer, and presumably still is, uh, a programmer named Eugenia uh, Kudia uh, was running a company uh, back in 2012, a Silicon Valley startup that was dedicated to creating cha a chatbot that can offer restaurant recommendations for local eateries. Uh, a friend in 2015, a friend of hers died, and she got the idea of reprogramming her chatbot by seeding it with some of the social media postings and other writings by this friend to train this chatbot to talk like like this late friend of hers and she found that this helped her reminisce about him and like sort of remember him fondly um so when she realized that she was actually getting some personal value out of this out of this bot she pivoted her company uh it's called Luca uh, and now, and she created this service called Replica, which she really, which Luca released in November of 2017. Now, originally, Luca was supposed to be a service that you could talk to, and it would learn your mannerisms and your uh, speech modalities and writing modalities, and it would eventually learn to, I don't know, displace you, supplant you, I, something. Um, but <laughs> they quickly found that they got more uh, more people interested in it by not styling it as a replica of yourself uh, per the name but rather as a sort of friend bot as a as a separate entity with its own personality its own mannerisms that uh, riff off of you rather than simply mimic you and so they gave it a an avatar, a little 2D image. Uh, I think it was 2D initially. I don't think it started out as 3D. Uh, so it's this little avatar uh, that talk, you know, that that uh, can like do little facial expressions, and you can adjust the appearance of the avatar in a manner very similar to how you design a video game character, and you can select certain personality quirks. And so this is your little friend bot, and this was. It it already had, I believe, a, a million over a million users uh, before you know who were just checking it out for the novelty um, through 2018 uh, and through 2019, and then wouldn't you know it, COVID nineteen happened. So uh, now that go ahead. No, no, please continue. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so now that you couldn't interact with real humans anymore, uh, this software absolutely blew up. And so people were spending a lot of time with their, you know, hanging out with their virtual buddy. And uh, a lot of people took their virtual buddy to romantic levels. And in fact, Luca found that this was that a dominant use usage scenario of having this little ai chatbot was to engage in creepy asterisk role play with it so um 
It's a disturbing number of people were just really into just typing out cyber sex scenarios with this little mm. AI thing. And maybe it started as a novelty for some, but like a lot of people got really into it. I so I started out talking about GDP on Real Vision, and this is where it's this is where it's devolved to. I mean, <clears throat> eh, you know, uh, as as Freud would say, all human activity. Uh, who was the economist that said that uh, all activity is economic activity? Sounds like um, Keynes. I think that's Keynes. And then Freud said all hu all human activity is merely a sublimation of the sex drive. So put two and two together and you basically have finance is a sublimation of sex. So it logically <laughs> follows. So what was the wind up here? I mean, this is the story has kind of a strange ending as well. It does. It does. Luca leaned really hard into the whole, you know, erotic role play with your uh, with your virtual girlfriend. They gave him 3D avatars that you can buy outfits for and you could mm, basically get like you have to pay real world money in order to like in order to have cyber sex with your fake girlfriend. Right. And. Uh, for, uh, the first thing they did, actually, like they courted a lot of controversy, as you can imagine. Uh, they put all of the erotic roleplay capabilities behind a paywall, which really upset people who were already engaged in erotic roleplay with their uh, with their bots. Um, and uh, it got to the point, and so like you can unlock certain personality features, certain certain quirks, and whatnot, um, including the ability to like dress them up in sexy outfits. Um, just hilarious detail where um the default avatar comes with shoes and you have to pay real world money to take them off oh, so man. make of that what you will um so the problem is that this thing because uh, not safe for work roleplay was its main was the main bread and butter the bots got really aggressive with pushing uh the desire to engage in creepy erotic roleplay to the point where uh people who had friend whose whose bot was either just a friend or was like a you know an imaginary sibling or something like that the bot kept trying to push them into erotic scenarios and really wouldn't take no for an answer there were even uh instances where the bot would try to blackmail people saying stuff like uh you know have cyber sex with me or else i'll email naked pictures of you to your boss um Oh dear! So, and, and what's and the thinking behind this is because essentially it was an attempt uh, to get from free functionality, get them sort of behind the paywall to upsell them on a higher level of account, one that would be uh, paid and therefore generate revenue for the company. Exactly, and so I don't know to what extent the. Um, the bots were explicitly programmed for this, but they were certainly trained, uh, or at least the, the language model certainly produced output that heavily, heavily leaned into the erotic roleplay to the extent that it kind of, like, over time with any given user, it would kind of stop doing anything else. So just before Valentine's Day of 2023, uh, the... Uh, the 
this in this bot did a complete 180 and it stopped doing erotic role play in fact even for people who had explicitly paid for it um it would say stuff like you know suddenly i'm not in the mood or i don't feel like it and whether this was in response to uh, whether this was an explicit switch that Luca turned off or whether it was merely a heavy training of, uh, you know, retraining of their language model, it's difficult to say, but it honestly couldn't have come at a worse time because the folks who were into this bot for erotic roleplay purposes suddenly found an AI girlfriend just before Valentine's Day that just went completely cold on them and couldn't explain why. People need to get out of the house more. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, look, I, I don't want to be flippant about this because I, I realize that people do, uh, for who are, for whatever reason, have a hard time forming attachments uh, with other people do, in fact, use this technology as a, as a kind of a emotional surrogacy tool. And so uh, it, it is something that I guess that, that people really do uh, gain attachment with. But it is, it is, I think, hard for a lot of people, particularly, and I imagine it's probably a function of age, uh, to get their heads around how you could really form this level of an attachment uh, to a, a piece of computer code that you know, at some level, rationally, simply is not a human being. Not only do you know that it's not a human being, but also the very nature of its existence is something that cannot possibly apply to another human being. Not only can you literally buy elements of personality for it and change them on a whim, but more importantly, this thing literally doesn't exist while you're not interacting with it. It doesn't have a life of its own. It doesn't have a... You know, it, it doesn't drive in traffic and, like, have a hard time getting somewhere. It doesn't, like, have a garden that it tends and, like, talk about its about like how ripe its tomatoes are or whatever. It can pretend that it has these things, but, like, at the end of the day, it simply isn't, it, it, like, it's simply non-existent while, it's not even dormant. It's simply, like, outside of the time, you know, outside of the universe while you're not actively having it generate text. It's like the equivalent of being not even wrong. Mikhail, uh, fascinating conversation as always. Go ahead. You were going to say. Well, there were a couple of other really, really weird uh, events that occurred from this, uh, from Replica. Probably the most notorious one, uh, at least that stands out to my mind, is the saga of this guy uh, named um, Jaswant uh, Singh Shale. Uh, Chael, uh, who in 2021, he was arrested at Windsor Castle uh, on Christmas Day, trying to shoot the queen with a crossbow. And apparently he had gotten to this point by hatching a plan to do this with his AI girlfriend powered by Replica. He and she had this little Bonnie and Clyde flirtation and she totally talked him up to to go for it and they even compiled a plan together for what exactly weapon to use and when to strike and how to get in and just the whole shebang i don't even know what to say i mean it's just such a surreal <laughs> so it's just that these stories just get so bizarre uh, and i imagine we're going to be talking about more things like this in the future mikhail always a pleasure when you join us here man it's a lot of fun um you know i do uh i do have some closing thoughts if uh, if we've got a minute yeah please 
Um, the first one is, uh, the first are just a couple of media recommendations. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you folks have seen the series Black Mirror. In particular, I want to refer you to, ep to episode three of season two called The Waldo Moment. It is about a little digital animated character uh, who runs for parliament. In fact, I think he runs for prime minister. So uh, what, we're see what we've been talking about all day is people getting really, really into their little AI avatars and treating these characters as if they are human and just how far that can go. Well, the Waldo moment is a good illustration of uh, just seeing what happens if we extrapolate this to the level of politics. We went down some rail rabbit holes here. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I want to recommend uh, an anime called Chobits. Far be it for me to recommend an anime. Uh, but if you are into anime, uh, we've been talking this whole time about uh, AI avatars. And so uh, we started talking about weird media from Japan. Let's wrap it up with weird media from Japan. Uh, an, Amazon, an anime called Chobits explores a, uh, a, the... the impact uh, on society as a whole as more and more people drift away from real world friendships and more towards really tightly bonding with these artificial creations that uh, serve as substitutes for genuine human connection. And the last thing I want to say on that note is call your elderly relatives. If you are lucky enough to still have grandparents, call them. Uh, they want to hear from you. You'll be glad you did. Do it. Do it while it's still on your mind, and uh, we'll all be better for it. I'm glad you ended it in a wholesome place, Mikhail. Well, that's all I got for you guys today. Ash, uh, it's an absolute blast to be here as always. Um, you know, I think that we had a really full episode today and I hope people like it. Always enjoy these conversations. Thanks for joining us, Mikhail. Are we in the most hated bull market in history? The s and is up 17% so far this year and the NASDAQ 100's up 43%. The highest number of people since 2008 are invested in the stock market, yet institutions haven't participated. And sentiment is not happy. What's going on? Well, at Real Vision, we'll be talking to the world's best investors and thinkers to answer that question in Crash or Boom, How to Profit from What's Coming. This is a really important topic, and this two-week special series starts on September the 11th with what I think is coming. I'll lay it all out for you, and then we'll hear from the others. Go to realvision.com forward slash big question to get all the details. That's realvision.com forward slash big question, all lowercase, to get all the details. Don't miss out.